So if you got your bulletin, I would invite you to open it. Open your bulletin up, and the, uh, the principles I want to share with you are inside your bulletin today. And I do pray that you would contemplate and consider these five powerful truths that the resurrection declares. Let me say it again. I want to give you five powerful truths that the resurrection declares. First of all, let me say this. God loves all people. The universal verse is John 3.16. You'll see that held up at sporting events and you'll see people... Uh, you'll see people quote that verse oftentimes. People that don't even go to church, you can ask them, what verses in the Bible do you know? And they'll go, John 3, 16. Right? I mean, a, a lot of people that are very, very infant in their faith journey. What's your favorite verse? John 3, 16. Great, quote it for me. All right, which other ones do you like? Well, I don't know anymore. Well, if we ever get... If we ever truly get John 3, 16, it really does rock us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but God sent his son Jesus into the world so that all people could be saved through him. God so loved the world. Guess what? You and I live in the world. God loves people. God made people. Guess what? I'm a people. I'm speaking to people today. I want you to hear something loud and clear. On this glorious Resurrection Sunday, God loves you. God loves you. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. God's crazy about you. You are, you are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. You're a one-of-a-kind piece of art. And God is crazy about you. I meet people all the time and they struggle with the fact of believing that God truly loves them. Some of you walked in here today and you don't see yourself as lovable. Maybe life has thrown you a few curveballs and beat you up. And because of whatever your past track record looks like, some of you sit here today and you go, I don't feel lovable. I don't feel valuable. I, I don't feel wanted. I don't feel that I have worth. Let me, let, let me, let me say something to you. Stop listening to the lies from hell. God loves you. God's crazy about you. God's been pursuing you from the early on part of Genesis when he made you in his image. And the creation account, God's crazy about you today. A lot of people go, I just struggle with that. Some of you have concluded that God is frustrated and mad and irritated with humanity. When you look at all the ruins of humanity today and all the chaos that's going on globally as well as even nationally, some people believe that God's mad at us. Barb and I were down in Callaway Gardens a few years back. And while we were at Callaway Gardens, we were cruising through the little town of Pine Mountain and we passed this little country church. And there was a sign out front of this little country church that had this written on it. Jesus is coming back. And boy, is he mad. You know, I drove past that church and I started laughing and I thought, I bet you one thing, pastor, I won't be coming to hear you speak because what you're telling me is that your God is a cosmic sheriff. He's a cosmic killjoy. He's mad. He's looking to arrest somebody, beat somebody up. Now, is God a God of wrath? Sure he is. Is God a God of judgment? Sure he is, but God is a God of agape love. 
Some of us think, well, God loves good people, but he doesn't love me. Define good. Define good. Comparison is the death of contentment. You know, I can honestly tell you, standing before you this morning, I've walked this planet now for 53 years. Compared to Jesus Christ, I've never met a good person. Did you hear that? Compared to Christ Jesus, who was righteous and never sinned, who had never made a mistake, I've never met a good person compared to Jesus. So to say that God only loves good people would say that the Father only loves the Son. But I would say that the Father loves us all. You don't know my story, Tim. I've got a twisted story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. So, so you're telling me you're beyond the love of God. Your divorce and your diseased lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, and immorality and adultery. You don't know my life, Tim. You don't, you, you, you don't know where I've been. Well, you don't, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I've been. You don't know at 13 being introduced to porn how that sears the mind. You don't know at 14 being introduced to alcohol that that would have a stronghold on my life for years. You don't know where I've been. You don't know at 15 being introduced to weed. I struggle with believing that God loved me unconditionally too. I had to come to the realization that God didn't love me based on my behavior. God loved me based on his character. Even though my behavior would come and go, God's character would never change. So when I look at the declaration of the gospel and the Easter narrative, I look and go, it is a declaration of God screaming, I love you. I'm extending my arms for you. I care about you. I'm willing to die a criminal's death for you. And I've pondered that crucifixion story so many times. Just the brutality of Golgotha and just how Jesus was beaten and spat upon and cursed and the spikes driven through his wrist and the crown of thorns, these big four to six inch thorns thrust through his brow and how Jesus would look out at the people with compassionate love. Why did he die? He died for you and I. And so as we pause to celebrate this incredible day, of what happened some 2,000 years ago, we pause to celebrate that God loves you. God so loved the world. He loves you and he loves me. Here would be a second truth that the resurrection declares. Death has been defeated. Death is the great equalizer. Death is not a respecter of persons. Death scares a lot of us. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and on the third day he was raised according to the scripture. Then Paul writes later in verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? How can we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord? I believe one of the greatest declarations from the cross and from the story of the resurrection is this. You do not have to live in fear of the unknown. You don't have to fear the unknown. One of man's greatest fears is the fear of dying, but then it's really the fear of where will I spend eternity? My buddy Eric passed away just a few weeks ago. Eric and I graduated together, and Eric was my friend, and 
this past fall, Eric was diagnosed with incurable, really inoperable cancer. And I saw Eric battle through those early days of cancer. And then Eric, Eric violently repented, totally surrendered to Jesus, started devouring the word of God. And Eric's like, I've got to know God. I've got to fully know God. And in those last days and weeks before Eric passed away, he would write and say, I've got peace. I've got complete peace. God is in control. So whether I live or whether I die, I'm at peace because I know who I belong to. Eric had come to the realization that death had been dealt with once and for all. And I believe one of the greatest fears that grips the human heart is the question of death. Now, I want you to get this. All humanity wrestles with four basic questions. We all wrestle with the question of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did it all come from? Meaning, what is man's purpose for existence? Morality, what's right and wrong? And then destiny, what happens once you breathe your last breath? And I want you to get this. So I'm sitting on a plane a year ago flying back from Kansas City. The person sitting next to me on the plane was a Puerto Rican female lesbian who was a main voice activist in the Buckhead community for pushing the liberal agenda. She said, what do you do? I said, I work for a Jewish carpenter out of the Middle East named Yeshua HaMashiach. I minister. She goes, oh, Lord. What do you do? She told me what she did. She said, are you going to preach at me? I said, why? I said, let's talk. I said, I'm uh, I'm interested in seeing how you would answer these four basic questions that all humanity wrestle with. She said, what are you talking about? I said, well, based on where you're from, the way you live, and some of your worldviews, how do you deal with the question of origin? She said, I believe in evolution. I said, so you believe in the cosmic gases, Big Bang, more of a Darwin approach? She goes, yes. Gotcha. I said, then how would you answer the question of meaning and purpose? What is man's fundamental purpose on the planet? She buys into more of a Blaise Pascal that man was created for the purpose of pleasure. It's all about pleasure. What do you want to do? How do you want to live? That's your purpose for existence. I said, how do you answer the question of morality? What's right and what's wrong? She said, I believe that culture defines morality. I believe that culture defines truth. So you're telling me that you believe that truth is subjective and not objective. She said, yes. I said, then how do you answer the question of destiny? What happens when a person dies? And she pauses and looks and says, now that's the one that bothers me. It will bother you if you have not come to the firm realization that Jesus Christ and him alone is the only one that's conquered death hell and the grave. Jesus Christ and the teachings of Christianity are the only ones that promise hope beyond the grave. You would say, yeah, I'm not afraid of being dead. I'm just afraid of getting dead. (laughs) If you're like me, you want to lay down one night and you want to just everything go really well and you want to just have have had one of the best days you've ever had and you just want to go to sleep and never wake up, right? We don't want to get hit by a car or we don't want to get hit by a bullet or 
We, we don't want that crazy stuff. We don't really want to deteriorate with cancer. But I can tell you this, if you will understand the power of Jesus' declaration and the power of the gospel, you don't have to fear dying. Jesus made the statement that I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I started thinking about that. Jesus says, I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. When it comes to dying, he said, I've got the keys. What, 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 what does a key do? A key will allow you to open and also lock. It allows you access and it also prevents. He goes, I've got the keys to death. You want to overcome the fear of dying? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one's going to come to the Father except through me. I've got the keys of hell. I've got the keys of the grave. I've got the keys. I am the key to your sanity, to your salvation. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, there's a huge difference between the death of the godly and the death of the ungodly. Death comes to the godly man as a penalty of his infliction, but to the righteous as an invitation to his father's palace. To the sinner, death is an execution, but to the saint, it's an undressing from his sins and his sickness. Death to the wicked is the king of all terrors. Death to the saint is the end of all terrors. It is the graduation unto glory. I've got good news for you today. The power of the resurrection declares to you, God loves you. But the power of the resurrection declares that death has been dealt with once and for all. You don't have to fear it. Here's a third one. The resurrection declares that you can be forgiven. I love that. We can be forgiven. Colossians 3.14 says, Jesus has forgiven all our sins, past, present, and future. He has canceled out every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. When it comes to my sin, can I tell you something? It has been dealt with once and for all. All of the brutality of my past in my teenage days and my early 20 days and even after coming to faith in Christ, those things that I would continue to mess up, can I tell you, even the things that are going to happen when I'm 55 and 60 and 70 as I stay on the planet, once and for all, my sin has been dealt with. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our iniquity and transgression from us. Can I tell you, it is a powerful thing to wake up in the morning and to walk into that restroom and look at that mirror and to be able to declare to yourself, you are forgiven in Jesus' name. I don't have to walk around with the weightiness of, of my shame and my guilt and the condemnation. You believe that? Yes. Do you believe that the power of the gospel totally forgives all sin? So much so that it motivates me not to want to sin. The power of the gospel is strong. God's forgiveness declares that we can live a life of freedom. When you start to look at the Easter narrative, and I want you to think about this. When you look at the Easter narrative, Jesus is praying, Father, if it be your uh, will, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. And as Jesus is praying, the Bible says he's sweating great drops of blood. His disciples bolt. They fall asleep. They run when he's led to the place of the skull to be crucified. Can I tell you something? When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he goes, I, I forgive those dudes right there. Those boys that I've poured into for running and leaving me. He looks at the, the soldiers who are nailing the spikes and drilling down on his skull, 
with, with, with these sticks just beating the crown of thorns. And he goes, Father, I forgive those soldiers right there. They don't know what they're doing. He looks at the religious leaders of that day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes and all these groups that had rallied together in this conspiracy to kill him. And he, he, he says, I forgive them. And he looks down on Loganville, Georgia, on this glorious Easter 2016, and he looks at everyone, he says, I've forgiven them already. I've, I've taken their, their place of payment for their sin, for their wickedness and their waywardness. But you know what? Here's what you got to do. You've got to personally receive that forgiveness. You've got to be willing to repent and respond and say, I receive that forgiveness. And each and every one of us sitting here needs that forgiveness. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need would have been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and God sent a Savior. And I am so thankful as I pause this Easter weekend, I'll look and go, God loves rebels, and rebels can experience the forgiveness of the gospel. Here's another strong thing. We can have God's spirit living inside of us. God loves us. Death has been dealt with. You can be forgiven. But I can have the power of Christ now living inside of me through faith and repentance. When I unplug from the world, when I plug into Jesus, when I receive him as Lord and Master, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power. The word there is the word dunamis in the Greek where we get the English word dynamite. He goes, you shall receive dunamis power. You shall receive the presence and the power and the perspective and the person of the Holy Spirit. And you shall be my witnesses. You will go tell other people how good I am because I now live inside of you. You know, you know what rocked my world is when God said, you've got my spirit inside of you. You've got my power and presence inside of you. I do not have to live life in the natural. I can live it in the supernatural. I don't have to reason just in the logical. I can now reason in the theological because I've got the mind of Christ. You know what God wants to give each and every one of us? He wants to give us the mind of Christ. He says in Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think according to his power that now dwells within us. Praise Jesus. How, how, how many honestly think it's crazy that you can have the mind and the power and the perspective of Christ? It blows my mind. But God wants you to know that as a result of the resurrection, Jesus, even as he hangs there on the cross, cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as, 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 as all the brutality of sin falls on him, as the father can't even look at his son, he goes, God, why are you forsaking me? And then Jesus says, he bows his head and he gives up the spirit. And then the spirit was made manifest on Pentecost. Can I tell you something? God wants you to walk in the spirit. You have to come to faith in Christ. You have to repent and you have to surrender. Here's another great truth. We can have a future in heaven. 
you can have assurance of your eternity. One of the greatest proclamations of the Easter story and the resurrection is this. You can have assurance of where you're going to go. 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know where you're going to spend eternity so that you can know that you're going to be in heaven when you die. 1 Peter says this, what a God we have. How blessed we are to have him, the Father of our Master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. When did you start living eternity, Tim? When did you start living eternal life? In October of 85, when I fell on my face and I repented of my sin and I placed my faith and confidence in Jesus, I started living eternal life right then. People say, well, this brother died and he's now in it in eternity. Now, he, 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 if he was a believer, he already started living in eternity from the time he was born again. When did you die, Tim? I died in October of 1985. I mean, this physical shell is going to stop breathing one day, but when did you die? October of 85. When I asked Christ to be my Lord, my master, my ruler, my champion, the king of my life, when I said, I repent and I give you the keys of ownership, that's when I started living eternal life. When, when, when does it start? Peter said it starts now. The future starts now. Embracing this powerful life start, starts now. You believe that? I've had people tell me that come from more of a, a Calvinistic and Presbyterian background. Tell me, you, you know, I've heard people teach at times, and I believe that God has chosen some that's going to spend eternity in heaven, and he's destined others for hell. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe that, I believe his love really is in, uh, it is divisible. People have told me that. I believe God's love is divisible. He divides his love to some, and you're going to be okay, and then he withholds and withholds his love from others. You, you believe that, Tim? No. Do I believe it's not God's will for any to perish? Yes. Do I believe it's God's will for all to come to a place of repentance? Yes. And I've had people argue that, like, well, you know, there's a narrow way to get to God, but broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. I've had people tell me that. Really? Yeah, I, probably only about 60% of the people that live on the planet are, are really going to go to heaven, Tim. You, God's already predestined that. I don't believe that. I got five kids. If you came to me and said 60% go to heaven, you and Barb need to get together and figure out which three go to heaven and which two go to hell. I would look at you like you had lost your stinking mind. I would cry out with Paul in Romans 10 that I myself, I wish that I were accursed and separated for the sake of my kids, if that be the math. Can I tell you something? God loves all of us. God's love is being poured out on all of us. God has been chasing every rebel under my voice. When Jesus dies on the cross, he deals with death once and for all. Once and for all, for all of us. He offers forgiveness to all of us. He promises us that we can have the Holy Spirit living inside of all of us. And he promises heaven as a reality for all of us. 
when I start to contemplate and consider the power of the Easter narrative, it's for all of us. And we talked last week about Romans 10, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you can be saved. That whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe God's invitation is for every person. How does it happen? If you will confess, if you're willing to say the same thing about Jesus as God says about Jesus, he's Lord, he's Master, he's Savior. If you're willing to repent, unplug from these other less wild lovers in the world, whatever the addictions or the pain or Whatever you've been plugging into to try to get your needs met, I'm going to unplug. I'm plugging into Jesus. Believe. Now, listen to this. When the scripture says believe, it means to be persuaded to action. It doesn't mean to just acknowledge that he exists. Do you believe? I am being persuaded to take action. And then we talk about surrender, which means I'm willing to align my will to his will and adoration and worship. What is God's will for each and every one of us? God's will for each and every one of us is for us to realize the power of the Easter message, that the resurrection declares hope and life and meaning, and we all come to to faith in Christ the same way. Let's pray.